Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Dilu. As we look back at K-State's uh, upset loss to the hands of the West Virginia Mountaineers uh, by the score of 24-20, a game that K-State uh, struck quick early with a deep pass to Dalton Schoen, uh, but some fatal errors uh, down the stretch uh, doomed K-State as they drop one at home to the West Virginia Mountaineers uh, by a score of 24-20, dropping K-State to 6-4 and four now on the season as they enter their final two games against uh, Texas Tech on the road and a home finale against the Iowa State Cyclones. So, uh, Dilo, I want to bring you in now. A disappointing loss for K-State, uh, no question about it, a game we felt confident that they would win. I thought K-State would have to uh, maybe – I thought they might get a little bit further pushed than maybe some other folks did. Uh, but a disappointing game. K-State left some plays out there that they certainly would love to have back. Um, also a bit of a uh, bit of trivia here for you, Dealey. You ready for this? I sure am. K-State was a 14-point home favorite against West Virginia, and they lost the game outright. When was the last time K-State – has lost as that big of a favorite at home outright. Uh, <clears throat> well, I would uh, probably think back to the first game of 2013 against uh, against a team that our current coach was on the staff of. And you'd be correct. It All was right. uh, to North Dakota State, uh, of course, the first uh, game of the 2013 season. Uh, kind of a harsh set. Uh, setback early on in that season. Now, K-State did rebound and, and had a nice little season after that, but disappointing for sure. Uh, that game against North Dakota State, but uh, in, in the more recent here, uh, a lot more devastating uh, in, in, the, in the short term here with the loss to West Virginia in a game that K-State really felt that they probably should have won. Yeah, it's, uh, it was just a really disappointing performance in a game where K-State got off the ball early, I mean, forced West Virginia into a three and out, and K-State scores on its first, uh, I believe it was its first play from scrimmage. Uh, it was. And uh, go, They take West Virginia three and out and then get on the board right away. And uh, went ahead and got, uh, you know, out to a nice little lead, and then uh, the defense just was really missing in the first half with just – Really, West Virginia was doing on pretty much what it felt like they were just moving the ball up and down the field throughout the first half, and uncharacteristic for Scotty Hazelton's unit uh, in the season so far to just let an offense like uh, West Virginia, which has really kind of struggled for the most part of this year, to just have its way with the K-State defense. Uh, and then, uh, on the other hand, K-State's offense was dormant for, uh, you know, most of the second and third quarters. And, well, yeah, for really the remainder of the game. Yeah, yeah. outside of the first quarter, K-State's offense really struggled, save for the uh, opening drive of the second half. But K-State suffered a big setback uh, on Saturday when, you know, you expected them to kind of bounce back after that tough loss against Texas and just absolutely laid an egg against an inferior opponent at home. Well, that pretty well uh, sums it up. Uh, let's talk a little bit about West Virginia first. Um, Austin Kendall out at quarterback, uh, lifted for uh, Jarrett Daigie, and he had himself a really nice day. Uh, 
20 of 30 uh, passing the ball, three touchdowns, and some big plays late. Uh, of course, you know, the third and 31 from the from midfield that goes for a touchdown. That's the one that uh, gave West Virginia the lead, which they wouldn't relinquish. And at that point, he had played pretty well up until that point. But I thought he gave him a real spark from what, uh, as we documented last week and as, as we made mention here, was a pretty listless offense uh, so far uh, here in Big 12 play. Yeah, I thought Jared Day, he played a really nice game. Uh, managed the offense well, was able to make some big passes, particularly on that uh, third down and 25, which uh, I think was absolutely the play of the game, um, where he was able to avoid some pressure and keep his eyes downfield and find a man who was just wide open. Uh, oh, because I, my, my mistake. I said third and 31. You said third and 25. It was third and 22. Oh, well, regard this year, regardlessly. Yeah. But, no, uh, our mistake there. No, it was a great play by him just to keep the play alive and a devastating uh, breakdown on defense for K-State, uh, which has been kind of a, a characteristic of this K-State defense throughout the season where it's just brain-dead especially on the back end and the secondary, uh, to kind of let those big plays happen. And I, I have to think that that's primarily on the safeties. Um, but regardless, in terms of what Jared Dagey did on Saturday, I thought he played uh, very well um, in his first – I believe that was his first start of the season. It was, yes. And uh, it was a – probably a maybe – I shouldn't say – a total shock to see him uh, get some action in this game for West Virginia. Of course, uh, you know them fighting for any type of bowl eligibility hopes uh, going in, having to win their remaining games on the schedule uh, to, to get to that six-win mark. You knew that they were going to be a desperate team as they came into Manhattan, and they were looking for a spark, and, and Deggy provided that. Um, so a good job by him. He made the plays uh, down the stretch that uh, that carried West Virginia to uh, to a win. Uh, let's kind of talk early in this game. Let's let's uh, go back as it were. K State gets out to an early seven nothing lead. West Virginia responds uh, right away with a uh, with a touchdown, a six play drive uh, going seventy five yards. K-State comes back with a field goal, and after the first two drives, you think, okay, this offense is, is looking okay, um, able to uh, move up and down the field, have, having some nice drives in terms of, one, uh, an explosive play uh, off the bat to Schoen, and then having uh, you know a real clock-churning drive where K-State uh, does have to settle for a field goal uh, from Blake Lynch. But let's talk a little bit about what happened to the offense afterwards. Uh, not much. And, you know, this is kind of – a theme that I've picked up on is that the offense looks good early on. Look, look back last week at Texas, uh, getting out uh, to a 14 nothing lead, and then you know, kind of sputtering from there on out. I, I was wondering, kind of, what your thoughts were on, you know, some early game success, and then kind of hitting a wall. Uh, is it maybe going off, you know, this off the scripted plays early on that uh, that shows some success for K-State, but once they get off that script, uh, they run into trouble? How do you see that? Well, I think K-State's bugaboos on offense this year has just been when they faced defenses who are up to the task of stopping K-State's running game. I mean, you look at 
K-State's running game this last weekend, and it was uh, it struggled. Uh, K-State, 38 rushes for 122 yards. Um, Gilbert was the leading rusher uh, for 60 yards on 13 carries, but as a team, K-State uh, averaged 3.2 yards per attempt on the ground. And for this offense, it's just the running game is the bread and butter, and I think that's a product of – uh, largely a product of K-State's limitations at wide receiver. It's a decent unit, but I don't think that K-State's passing game is good enough to carry, to shoulder the load for four quarters. And so when K-State's offense was rolling, so to speak, in that first, uh, those first two drives, it was, it came off the back of a long touchdown pass uh, on one play, which, you know, it's hard to count on that for four quarters. But uh, I, I think for K-State's offense to be where it wants to be and sustain throughout an entire game, you know, really just put up 30 points, uh, K-State's uh, running game needs to be humming to the tune of four-plus yards per carry, uh, and especially on first down. I mean, you look at uh, the game on Saturday, K-State's third drive, which ended in an interception, Part of that was because K State behind the chains. Yeah, you get behind the chains, and they uh, on that series that resulted in the interception. It was a one yard run by Gilbert, an incomplete pass on second down, and then K State's forced in a third and nine, obvious passing down to throw downfield, and we ended up arm punting it. Yeah, it was a heck of a play by the West Virginia uh, defensive back there to uh, to haul that one in. But, no, absolutely, I think that's a well-served point. When, when K-State gets in these obvious passing situations, they struggle, and, and you would expect that from a team who primarily a, a running-style offense, well, and just, and not with the explosive uh, you know, playmakers at receiver to, to, to really get past that. Right, and it's what's crazy about it is, is I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine K-State's success rate on first down throughout this year is pretty low. And for, I mean... Yeah, especially once you look in conference play, I would have to I mean, yeah. maybe buoyed by a couple of those early games. But yeah. But, but on how many first downs, first and tens have we had where K-State gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage or gives up a three-yard loss on a run play or only gets, you know, one or no gain on first down on a run play, and then K-State's operating second and ten. And that's an uncomfortable position for an offense that, you know is predicated on staying ahead of the chains and getting into third and manageables. Um, you know, that's that's not what Courtney Messingham's offense is built to do. And so it's the run blocking, um, which looks unstoppable against a team like Kansas and does a pretty nice job against Oklahoma too, uh, was just absolutely non-existent. On Saturday, and I think that that's as K State's offensive line uh, goes in terms of run blocking. So goes the entire K State offense this season because if, if they're struggling, then K State's offense is going to struggle over the course of four quarters. Well, it, I think that's well put. And uh, when you look at this offense as they go on the road here to Texas Tech, which we'll get into. Uh, a little bit later should be a, a, 
a little bit more favorable of a matchup in terms of of uh, when you compare West Virginia's defensive line uh, compared to Texas Tech's. One, uh, well, two players that I highlighted uh, for West Virginia last week were uh, the Sills brothers, or the Stills brothers, excuse me, um, from West Virginia, and uh, you know, not a huge game for them in terms of just racking up the tackles and sacks like they did against Baylor. But uh, they were disruptive in that in that backfield, and uh, kudos to them and the rest of the West Virginia uh, defensive line and linebackers as they uh, they made it tough sledding for K State. Yeah, absolutely. And, and K State's uh, hog mollies just weren't able to get it done. K State tried to tried to do what they've tried to do throughout this season when the running game up the middle isn't successful, and that's attack the edges um, in terms of off tackle stuff, in terms of jet sweeps. Uh, but K-State, this offense wants to be primarily an interior run offense. And whether, for whatever reason, they are just not getting the space or the push up front to really make the power running game uh, its bread and butter. And the rest of K-State's offense in terms of the edge rushing and the passing offense just flat out is not good enough. Uh, to make up for that against uh, decent defenses. Well, let's switch uh, subjects now to the K-State defense. You know, you hold West Virginia 24 points. You don't feel necessarily great about that. Uh, and you have to kind of look at back at the passing defense, some obvious um, busts in terms of coverage that, that ultimately cost K-State late in that game. But, uh, you know, another game without uh, A.J. Parker, uh, of course, out with an injury, uh, probably due to, for the rest of the season, uh, out to injury. West Virginia's wide receivers who have been plagued by drops um, throughout the season, you know, they only have 234 yards passing, not, not a great amount. But as you mentioned, West Virginia's offense was kind of humming a little bit in terms of being able to pick up stuff through the air. And uh, they were doing it relatively efficiently, especially when they were going with tempo. Uh, what did you kind of see from uh, from K State defensively, and maybe you know what did you think that maybe Scotty Hazelton could have done a little bit better uh, last Saturday? Well, in the first part of the the game, where K, where West Virginia was just slicing through K State's defense, it just some of the personnel we were using, we were we had more defensive backs into the game uh, to kind of stymie or attempt to stymie the West Virginia offense. And that just didn't work. Um, So we had some odd personnel out there. We made that change and K-State's defense started to settle down. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's hard to be too hard on this defense on Saturday because you look at how it could have gone. I mean, you, you take back the mishap on the field goal with Deshaun going over the center. Yep. That's, Seven point that's seven points that would have come off the board. You you think back at the defensive breakdown uh, that would have ended with that should have ended with fourth and twenty five or so, and that's another seven points off the board. And so you look at it and you think, okay, West Virginia really just sustained two honest to goodness drives uh, throughout that game that ended in points uh, outside of those two. And if K State wins this game. 10 to 20, which it easily could have done, then we're praising the genius of 
Scotty Hazleton this week, if not for two mental breakdowns by the defense. And so I'm not too critical of how the defense played um, just because, you know, for for those reasons. you It's just two horrible mistakes, um, especially the safeties on the third and 22, that uh, that led to the 14 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's well said. Defense played well enough, even with the 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 fatal errors that they made, uh, to uh, to come away with a win in this one. So let's uh, kind of transition out of the end of the game. Uh, K State down by four, gets the ball uh, with just a bit over uh, or a bit under three minutes uh, to go in the game. Mounts a nice little drive, picks up some big plays, uh, picked up a fourth down and six at that point, uh, you know, later in that drive to continue to prolong the drive and and get it down into into scoring territory, of course, needing a touchdown to do it. Uh, But time was going to be of an issue uh, with Skylar Thompson's pass intercepted uh, with under, you know, 45 seconds left. They had a play though uh, down there, and if if you've seen, uh, folks, if you've seen the um, the kind of the breakdown of that play and kind of the still shots and and uh, and gifts regarding that, the play was there to be made. Quite frankly, the offensive line didn't do a great job of um, of holding up against a three man rush, but uh, the play was there, and, and Thompson probably had a little bit more time than he had thought that he might have. Uh, to really set his feet and get his body into that throw, uh, but he underthrows uh, shown and and uh, intercepted there to to end the game. What did you kind of? What were your thoughts on that final drive? I mean, anytime K State's offense has a uh, is up against the clock, needing a touchdown this year, I just don't have a ton of faith that it's going to come to fruition. Just because. As I mentioned earlier, anytime K-State has to rely on its passing game, I think it's just tough sledding for this offense. That There's so little margin for error, and everything has to go just right. Um, but K-State was able to move down the field and kind of get in a position with, well, right around a minute left or so, maybe a little under a minute at yeah. that point, What at about the 25, 30-yard line or something. Uh, it was second and eight from what I'm seeing here in the play-by-play. Second and eight from the 30 uh, 43 seconds so, via ESPN. So I was, frankly, I was a little surprised they got that far. Um, but yeah, in terms of that last play, it was subpar pass blocking. Uh, Thompson got it out of got it out of his hand late and short armed it a little bit into the wind. Um, I thought it was great play call, great play design. I thought Shown got a, did a nice job to get open. Maybe gave up inside leverage, um, but still that's a throw that... It's a tough throw, but it's a throw that if you're going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12, you you probably ought to make. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, in terms of in terms of that play, there was really nothing over the top in terms of support that West Virginia had. If anything, that ball's got to be overthrown uh, to let Schoen uh, go get that. I think Thompson, uh, you know, after seeing... Uh, what he had again in in, in tape in uh, tape review, 
you have to feel like he, that's a pass he feels like he should have made, and if he you know had it to do over again, uh, I think he'd make that throw probably over fifty percent of the time in terms of getting it to where Shown has a chance. Now, if he the defender makes a great play, if Shown doesn't catch it, or if it's overthrown, that's you know up for debate. But I think he could have given him obviously a chance, a, a better chance, and I think he would have done that, uh, you know, given another opportunity. But you don't get uh, you don't get takes takesy backsies in in this business. And uh, that's how K-State loses this one uh, here, 24-20 to 20, uh, to West Virginia. So let's uh, kind of put a bow on this one here. K-State loses at home as a 14-point uh, 14, 14 dog, or 14-point uh, favorite in this one. You look at kind of what this shapes up the rest of the season. Uh, K-State, uh, which we'll get into here shortly, a slight dog uh, on the road, pretty much a coin flip game against Texas Tech, and then playing a really pretty darn good Iowa State team uh, in the season finale. You know, if you win this one, you're at seven, seven and three going into those final two games, where you have to feel pretty good about your your chances of getting to eight or nine wins. Uh, but now you're saying, okay, we started out six and two, locked up bowl eligibility over a win over KU, and then. Uh, two straight losses to games that really come down to the wire, and, and it kind of gives this season and this uh, final stretch here a, a different uh, a different tune. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's no sugarcoating it. Saturday was an absolute disaster uh, for K-State's team this year. There's K-State has no business losing to, to West Virginia because K-State's the better team, but they weren't the better team on Saturday um, just because of – Really, just because of mental mistakes on the part of uh, K State's defense, but uh, and then K State's offense just going dormant for a while. But uh, in terms of shaping up for the rest of the year, yeah, I think K State's got uh, two uh, two games that aren't going to be easy to win. It's you know, if it were up to me, I would I would rather have the Texas Tech game at home and the Iowa State game on the road and just kind of concede the Iowa State game and take the easier one at home to better your odds at at least one win. But, man, I think these are uh, these are absolutely two coin flip games uh, the rest of the way. Well, uh, K-State, uh, after the loss to West Virginia, now in a little two-game uh, skid here as we enter the uh, final two games of the season. So uh, that'll do it here for the West Virginia uh, review. Let's, uh, let's transition right now into uh, the Texas Tech game. Of course, Matt Wells, uh, his first season at uh, at the helm for uh, the Red Raiders. They are needing wins in their final two games uh, to go to a bowl game. Currently at four and six, uh, with K State at home and Texas on the road uh, to close out uh, 2019. You know, it's a team that when you look at it, you know, two and five in league play. Uh, Got off to kind of a rough start this season, losing uh, to Arizona on the road uh, in their non-conference finale, and they also lost uh, their quarterback, uh, Alan Bowman, to injury that game, and he has not uh, made it back to the field since then. He's redshirting um, this year. With that being said, uh, it, they haven't struggled being competitive uh, in these games. Um Outside of the loss to Oklahoma, where they get beat 55 to 16 in the Iowa State game, which is a 10-point loss for the Red Raiders, but Iowa State really uh, pretty well in, in command of that game, 
uh, throughout. But this Texas Tech team, um, really, we were. I remember watching the game with you against Baylor. Uh, easily could have won that game, uh, a game that went into uh, overtime against the Bears uh, on the road, and then inexplicably lose to KU the way they did. Um, took care of West Virginia on the road, uh, which obviously a team that K-State struggled with last week. And um, it, it's a team that has uh, some potential. Jet Duffy has filled in for um, has filled in for Bowman, and he's done a nice job. K-State uh, fans will remember him as the quarterback last uh, season uh, when the Wildcats uh, took down the Red Raiders uh, in Manhattan. But uh, when you look at this Texas Tech team, what do you kind of see from from them so far? Well, on they're kind of all over the place. They're not they're not all that different than uh, than K State this year, save for uh, a couple of close losses uh, for Texas Tech. Uh, you know, they had kind of their own stunner at home this year, where they uh, completed what was a big upset against Oklahoma State, and then uh, have a head scratcher not too unlike k-state did against west virginia where they went out and lost to ku on the road in what was an absolute circus of a finish there sure um in terms of what they do the thing that sticks out to me is that their uh rush defense isn't uh not great it's uh eighth in the conference in terms of yards per rush uh ahead of ku and k-state uh, respectively. Um, it's a four-man front on defense, which this season K-State's Might had, be a welcome sight, yeah. Yeah, K-State's had more success against those this year for whatever reason. But uh, I would look for K-State to um, try to uh, exploit that and hopefully get this ground game going. Um, and then on offense, Texas Tech is going to do what Texas Tech does, and that's air it out. Um, so again... I think, as has been the story of uh, K-State's defense this year, it's going to be up to the safeties to keep everything in front of them and be sure tacklers on the back end because Texas Tech's going to try to uh, test K-State through the air. Yeah, and, you know, when I look at Texas Tech offensively, you have to look at the trigger man, Jet Duffy. Uh, you know, he's played pretty well here after being pressed into action here uh, with Bowman going out. Um 11 touchdowns to one interception uh, over the last um, – or excuse me, yeah, 11 touchdowns to one interception over the last three games. Pretty pretty solid performance uh, performances there from him. If K-State's able to get some turnovers, obviously that helps out a lot uh, when you deal with an offense like this. But if K-State's going to win this game against Texas Tech, I think they have to get back to you know doing what K-State does offensively, and that's running the ball. It sounds like Texas Tech, uh, from from your little preview there, is is susceptible to uh, giving up some yardage on the ground. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what that's been the recipe for success this year is just K State being able to consistently run the ball. Because what we've seen this year is is if K State's running, if K State's offensive split between running and passing, if K State's running the ball more than they're passing, well, that's usually a sign that. They're able to do that. They're gaining ground there, and they're not, uh, you know, sustaining drive. They're sustaining drives on the ground, and they're not having to play catch up through the air, uh, like we saw at the end of the Texas and uh, and West Virginia games. Uh, but I think K State, uh, 
is going to look at this Texas Tech defense and like what they see in terms of what Texas Tech's rush defense presents. And on paper, this is a favorable matchup uh, for K-State's offense. Um, and when Texas Tech has the ball, I think it's just going to be whether or not uh, K-State's secondary, uh, especially without A.J. Parker in there, is able to uh, kind of contain uh, Jet Duffy's arm. Well, and also, too, I think when we talk about Texas Tech being you know, relatively weak up front against the run, you have to look at what they've done in, uh, in, in, pa- in, in terms of their pass defense as, as well, uh, giving up you know, in their last three games, uh, most recently to Texas Tech, or to uh, TCU, rather, excuse me, 323 yards through the air against West Virginia. West Virginia, of course, down that game, throws for nearly 500 yards, 498 uh, on the day. And then against KU, uh, Carter Stanley threw for 415 yards on his way to winning a Big 12 Player of the Week that week. So, really, either option should be there for K-State, uh, but will be important to uh, to serve some sort of balance, uh, of course, in, in any type of attack that K-State runs out there on uh, on Saturday. Absolutely, and that's one of the things that uh, kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's... K-State's, if K-State can put together a positive running game, then that exacerbates uh, Texas Tech's problems and its past defense because then you start working out of the play action and that'll allow Skylar Thompson to have uh, plenty of success there against what is already a suspect unit um, in Texas Tech's secondary. So uh, I, I would look for K-State's offense to look a lot better this week than it did last week and even against Texas just because of what Texas Tech does and who Texas Tech is defensively. Um, so on, on paper, I think it's a, a favorable matchup. Well, let's look uh, at K-State defensively here against Texas Tech. Uh, of course, we mentioned uh, Jet Duffy playing pretty solid football right now. But uh, when I look at the this matchup, it, it took me back to uh, Scotty Hazleton's time uh, as the defensive coordinator at Wyoming in 2017 and 2018. Of course, he was going up against Matt Wells and, uh, at that time, uh, the Utah State Aggies and had a lot of success against uh, Matt Wells defensively here. That's a uh, pretty good comparison. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, I would love to, D. Lou. In 2017... That's why he's the icon, folks. Yeah, In 2017, behind the strong arm of then-future Buffalo Bills signal caller... Uh, Josh Allen, the Cowboys upset, or I, I wouldn't say it was an upset. It was two pretty evenly matched teams, uh, but Wyoming gets uh, the win in Logan, Utah against uh, against the Aggies, where Scotty Hazleton in this Cowboys defense was a menace for this Aggies uh, offense, forcing five turnovers uh, on the day. In, uh, in what was a 28-23 to victory for the Cowboys. Then we look at the next season uh, where, uh, where the Cowboys welcome um, the Aggies to War Memorial Stadium in Laramie. And the Aggies come away with a victory, but only produce a whopping 194 yards of offense in this one. So uh, Scotty Hazleton has... Had some success against Matt Wells in the past in terms of holding them well under their their average in terms of points as well as uh, you know forcing turnovers and 
and not really letting them get much uh, going in terms of just overall offense. So something to watch out uh, for. Of course, uh, new personnel. Um, you know, I know Matt Wells probably is aware of this too and, and uh, has done some self-scouting on him. And I don't know how much you can really glean from these games, but it's certainly uh, an interesting uh, point when you look at some of the history uh, between uh, Matt Wells and, and, and uh, Dave Yost and, and that offense uh, for Texas Tech and what they did at Utah State and, and now what they're doing uh, down in Lubbock. Absolutely, and that's a, that's a really good point. It's, you know, sometimes these D coordinators just have the guy on the other side figured out, and that, that may be the case here. Another interesting thing to watch will be whether or not Hazleton goes back to that uh, personnel usage we saw early on in the West Virginia game that was just an absolute dud, where it was sort of a dime package out there with just a wave of uh, defensive backs as opposed to linebackers uh, substituting speed for some, for some size and length. Um, in speaking of substitution packages, I want to go back to uh, that West Virginia game where they do pick up the long third down conversion. Of course, K-State uh, you know, brings out a, a defensive line personnel grouping of – the, the NASCAR, where they get the uh, the fast defensive ends out there to try to generate pressure on the quarterback. And on that play, uh, Deggie's able to step up into the pocket a little bit, and they don't contain it as well as they would probably have done uh, if you have the if you have the big bodies of defensive tackle out there that are not necessarily trying to necessarily get up field, but rather to keep some contained there. I'll be interested to see if we see that package uh, as much as well, because on that play, it, it allows Day to kind of get a little bit extra time and step up and get a different angle in terms of how to uh, get the ball down the field. Now, granted, the guy was wide open. Uh, but with that being said, it's a lot easier line of sight to see that guy uh, if you're not uh, you know, contained inside the pocket. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying on that, and there may be something to it. But when there's a breakdown in the secondary is egregious – as it was on that play, I, it's it's hard for me to question personnel usage or defensive line. I mean, the, the defensive line got pressure on him on that play, and frankly, part of me wonders if the defensive back's eyes were in the backfield and assumed that he would get tackled for a sack on that play. And that's I just have no explanation. I haven't seen an all twenty-two uh, video of that play where you can really figure out just what on earth uh, happened there. Um, but, no, in, in philosophically speaking, I don't have a problem with uh, bringing in guys like that in that situation because you want to put pressure on the quarterback and, and you bring your best pass rushers in to do that and you try to force the throw faster than he would have liked. And, and, you know, it's if K-State's does its job on the back end on that play, then no There's no issue. Yeah, yeah they're, there's they're, no issue they're at all. We're not talking about this. We're probably talking about a K-State win. I think so. And, but, so no, I don't have a problem with the NASCAR. Well, and I think the other thing, too, when you look at this game, is, of course, two really tough losses. One at the, at the gun to Texas. One, you know, essentially at the gun here to West Virginia. You don't want to let those two losses beat you a third time, so to speak, uh, with being able to flush the, those two uh, those two hard ones to, uh, to take there. And uh, going on the road to fight, uh, to, to go on the road to take on a team that's also fighting for 
their postseason lives with Texas Tech not so much dissimilar to what West Virginia was doing last week. Now, um, when you look at this, though, too, K-State has had a little bit of a tough time down there uh, in Lubbock traditionally over the years. When you go back to Leach, uh, they I mean, they'd pretty well beat the tar out of us uh, more often than not. Uh, you know, loss uh, on the road in, in 2015 as well, paid them back in 2017 uh, with, a, with a late comeback there in case they did. But Lubbock's always a tough place to play at night at, uh, at, uh, in Lubbock at Jones A&T Stadium, right? They haven't renamed that, have they? No, not that I know of. So uh, the Tortillas may, will be flying late into the night uh, potentially. Uh, always a kind of a tough place to play in the Big 12, kind of a sneaky place in terms of maybe where uh, you know it, where it falls nationally in terms of kind of a place that's been difficult for teams to go in there and uh, and get a W in. But uh, I'm going to ask you now, Dilu, as we've kind of looked here at at uh, Texas Tech and what they bring to the table. How do you see Saturday's contest going? I mean, <sighs> we were talking about this earlier this week. I have not been able to put my thumb on what I think K-State's going to do week to week. I mean, it's... It's been tough. It's been such a frenetic, inconsistent season both ways. It's not as if K-State has just, you know, been dormant all year. It's just that K-State loses two in a row against Oklahoma State and Baylor after getting off to a very hot, exciting start for the Wildcats. And But after Baylor, we're all, you know, wallowing in our sorrows, thinking that this is going to be an absolute dogfight for bull eligibility. Then K-State rattles off three in a row, including against then undefeated Oklahoma. Um, and then K-State's riding high again, and K-State's 6-2 and two and looking, you looking. know, we're talking Big 12 championship stuff. And then K-State drops one to Texas, which we're all thinking, and, you know, that kind no of a coin deal. flip. And then K-State comes out and has their worst, uh, their worst performance of the season against West Virginia. And, uh, their worst loss of the season. And so, who knows? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, on paper, I think K-State absolutely matches up favorably against Texas Tech. Um, And so, just trying to guard against my own, you know, recency bias, I'll say that K-State ought to win this one by, I don't know, 10 points, maybe, maybe 31 to 21 or something like that. Okay. Um, but because I, I do like the matchup, but on the other hand, K State it's it's hard to be too high on K State after watching them struggle against West Virginia. But in an in an effort to not uh, follow the trend, and that's trends have gone the other way in a heartbeat this year for K State. I'll say K State uh, wins this one thirty one to twenty one. Thirty one twenty one. The pick for Dealer. Well. It's interesting you talk about trends because I've been pouring over the game logs, schedules, weather patterns, everything. All right. I've been digging well, into Well, that's why it he's all. the icon. K-State's followed an interesting trend so far this season. You mentioned win three games, Nickel State, Bowling Green, Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. All wins for K-State. Uh, yeah, that's right. Two losses. Oklahoma State, Baylor. Three wins and two losses there. Okay. okay. Follow that up by three wins. Texas Christian, Oklahoma, Kansas. 
So three wins, two losses, three wins, then what? K-State loses two more. Wow. This is kind of freaky. Loses to uh, Texas and then West Virginia. What? what three complete- wins, two losses, three wins, two losses. What completes the pattern? Three wins. Three wins. How many more games is K-State guaranteed of this season? Icon? The answer's three. How about that, folks? That, that's the, kind of the only analysis you get here on the short side option. That's And uh, I'm calling for a K-State win here against uh, Texas Tech. I see it uh, similar to you in terms of where K-State finishes up uh, on the scoreboard. I see it 34-31. Blake Lynch field goal uh, puts it away for K-State. I love it. I think that's hard-hitting analysis based on basic math. I mean, you, you cannot lie. Or you, you cannot disagree that that's what the pattern is, and that's where the pattern's going. So, so that's, that's that's how I see it. It's good hard numbers crunching by you there. So 34, 31 for me, 31, 21 for Delu. Uh, we're both calling for Cats wins, and that would be a, a, a nice uh, a nice bounce back here after what was definitely a disappointing loss. K State enters this game as a, a two and a half point dog, uh, where. Uh, the the over-under in this game is 55, so we both see it being right around there. Uh, you have it going slightly under at 52 total. Um, I have it flying over a little bit with uh, with 64 total points there. So, Dilu, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, here before we uh, we move on here from the, the Texas Tech preview? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that... That about covers it. I think if K-State's offensive line can do its job against Texas Tech, and if K-State can run the ball for, you know, at a four-plus yards per carry clip, I think K-State wins, and I think that's what uh, should be expected out of this uh, K-State offense uh, against the Texas Tech defense. Now, Dilu, before we get into Wildcat legend and ask the icon, a.k.a. ADI, um, I want to pose a question to uh, Dilu. And a little hypothetical here, if you will. Let's say K-State was sitting at five wins at this point, with two remaining. The game against Texas Tech, and at home against Iowa State. If I put a gun to your head, would you say K-State gets that sixth win to get bowl eligible? Man, that's that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously you're picking us. In this one, uh, but but without that Oklahoma game, a it throws the pattern off. A lot of and b I'm not feeling near as good about where K State's at this season. I mean that's bottom line. You, that game that's the difference between a win and a loss and shapes perception and all that. Uh, no, I would I would say that K State likely wouldn't become bowl eligible. K State would have to go on the road against and and beat a team that that's not a gimme. No, certainly not. And um, case if failing that, K State would have to win at home against. Arguably, if we were if we were sitting at five wins right now, I would think, well, Iowa State's a much better team than we are. Yeah, and arguably Iowa State, I'd probably say, gosh, you you don't have to twist my arm too hard to say that they're the second best team in the conference. Um, maybe. Yeah, just based uh, I mean, upon I, not based upon prior, 
you know, what's happened early in the season about how they're playing now. And, and I mean, I think what is it? They've lost their, their three games um, by, gosh, what was, I think, nine points, or they're 11 points away from being undefeated this season. So, uh, no doubt a good Iowa State team. Mm, uh, I think, I mean... I might it's, be it's hard to say. It it's much. hard to say that Iowa State is the third team in the conference when they lost to Oklahoma State at home. I mean, I think. I mean, I, second best team in the conference, rather. Excuse mm-hmm. me. But no, I think Iowa State's. I, I don't think Iowa State's any better than Four the lost, fourth. Excuse me. Than the fourth best have. team in the conference right now. Well, they're certainly playing well, and they got the big win over Texas last week. Uh, they have to be feeling pretty good about themselves here as they enter the stretch run. Uh, but uh, we—that's that's for a discussion for a different day and different time. In a different, uh, yeah, in a, in a different universe and a different reality, that that prospect would be an uncomfortable position for K State to be in, trying to squint out a win against uh, Iowa State or Texas Tech to get to uh, bowl eligibility. Well, folks, that'll do it here for the West Virginia review and the Texas Tech preview here on the short side option. After a quick break, we will be back where Dila will bring you another in the long line of Wildcat legends. And we'll answer your questions and ask the icon. Back after this. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the short side option podcast, where we are now getting into a segment that we call this week's Wildcat legend. An icon. This week's Wildcat legend hails from Papillion, Nebraska. All right. He's a quarterback. He had a memorable performance against Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. I am, of course, talking about the great Alan Everidge, who uh, played for K-State in 2005. Uh, Everidge played in nine games as a redshirt freshman that year. He started six. And threw for a Kansas State freshman record at the time, 1,365 yards and six touchdowns. In one game against Texas A&M, he completed 23 of 44 passes for 357 yards and three touchdowns. He also rushed for 203 yards that season, including 138 in a 27-25 loss to Nebraska. But I think the most memorable play of Alan Everidge's short career at Kansas State came against Texas Tech uh, in 2005. I'll set the scene for you. K-State's down 31-13, to about uh, three and a half minutes left to go in the third quarter, and uh, Everidge lines up in the shotgun there. Uh, he gets the snap, drops back, quarterback draw, Steps up, gets about, I don't know, seven or eight yards downfield before getting absolutely just murdered by uh, one Dwayne Slay for Texas Tech. Um, and fumbled the ball. It was a brutal hit. If, if that hit occurred today, Slay would be probably uh, sentenced to years in prison. Um, it, it was It was rough. It was... A horrifying sight, but back then it was just like, yeah, man, <laughs> that was some hit. That was cool. This time, this if that happened today, they review it for three minutes and uh, eject Slay. But back then it was just cool. Um, I will say though, yeah. they, so it kind of is cool. I it mean, was cool, and you know what else is cool? Everidge went back into the game after that hit and finished the game. Uh, Gamer had a nice little day, fourteen of twenty-five for one hundred and ninety-two yards. 
uh, and a touchdown for him. A touchdown on what I believe was a very long Jordy Nelson touchdown. Reception. It was, absolutely. Um, a young Jordy Nelson, no less. But, uh, in fact, 80 yards uh, was the length of that touchdown reception. He was also sacked twice, uh, threw an interception, and uh, fumbled. But quite a gamer. And when uh, Icon, when I was looking back to do some research on our Wildcat legend this week, I stumbled across an article from the uh, the Eagle. Um, the Eagle! I don't know. Is this the Wichita Eagle? No, no, this doesn't look like it. This <laughs> looks, the, it looks like it's out of uh, out the, of Texas. The Eagle dot com. So yeah, you know, you 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 uh you you fill the listeners in on on what uh, Mr. Everage had to say, and I'll I'll do. Uh, Granted, it's they just ripped a, an AP article. Oh, oh um, okay. So the source doesn't really matter all that much, but nonetheless, uh, Everage transferred to Wisconsin, of course, after his uh, out of Bryan, Texas, by the way. Oh, of course. Yeah, that is right down there by College Station down there. Um, so, Everidge transfers to Wisconsin uh, after his redshirt freshman season at K-State. Uh, sits out the 2006 year. But the interesting thing is is that uh, he transferred a week into fall practice. Uh, the first week of fall practice under then-new head coach Ron Prince. Um, which was interesting because this is a guy who started some games for K-State in his redshirt freshman season. Seemed to have, you know, he didn't tear the house down, but very few redshirt freshman quarterbacks do. Um, but they, the, he was interviewed for this article talking about how odd it was at the time he transferred. And uh, the article reads, He said Friday that he had adapted to Prince's regimen and thought he had done enough uh, through spring workouts and the summer program to earn the starting job. Quote, you're obviously competing, and there's little things every now and then. Um, it's, been an interest, it's been interesting so far. So it'll be an interesting fall, an interesting two-a-days. Uh, end quote from Everidge. So you, you start to see back then, at that point, K-State had had three quarterbacks transfer over that offseason. Uh, Alan Webb and Kevin Lapina, Kevin Lapina and then Alan Everidge uh, in August and uh, they interviewed K-State's associate athletic director, Jim Epps, who offered some quotes as well. Uh, Jim Epps said the following. It's a surprise this time of year. When Lapina transferred, it's more typical for a player to be disenchanted for whatever reason. But at this time of year, when you're embarking on two-a-days and the academic semester is going to start in eight or ten days, uh, it's unusual. Um, the fact that you have three kids, all who play the same position is unusual. From that standpoint, it would be considered out of the ordinary. So, uh, back then, in 2006, K-Staters, we thought, we were all just looking through purple-colored glasses and thinking, well, we got Josh Freeman. He's a quarterback of the future. And he was. But uh, it's an early oddity to have a guy who's one of your, on your two-deep at quarterback uh, transfer in August um, and also in this article, Everidge said that he was considering, he was trying to switch over to defense just to get on the field. Hey. So the writing was on the wall for, for Mr. Everidge. Do you know what it took, though, to, to help out the squad, though? You have to, you have to appreciate that. He's a gamer. And also what's interesting about Alan Everidge, 
um, is that when he was recruited to K State, he was, Nebraska was after him. Oh, I, I mean, at that time, you know, kind of fits their style of quarterback in terms of running, you know, running the triple option, running out of a big power eye. I mean, yeah, he was a local kid, of course, Papillion, a uh, a suburb of uh, Omaha. So local kid um, fit the mold for what Nebraska was looking for. I don't know if he would have been a starting quarterback ever in Nebraska necessarily, but definitely fit the mold. Yeah, but when he when he committed to K State, I seem to recall uh, rumors of his tires getting slashed, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, for for what a gamer he is, especially after taking that hit uh, down in Lubbock and getting in and. You know, getting back into the action and finishing the game. Uh, that has all of us uh, here at the Short Side Option Podcast remembering Alan Everidge is a Wildcat legend. Now we're going to get into our uh, final segment on the show. A segment that we, of course, call AVI, where listeners can ask the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork a question via Twitter by tweeting it at us, uh at our Twitter account, at T-S-S-O underscore podcast, or using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or, as we found out this week, you can submit questions via telepathy. And uh, I'll do my best to try to figure out who you are and what you asked, and I'll submit them to the Short Side Options uh, icon. And Icon, first of all, this week, I think I did get... I got a couple questions via telepathy. Okay, let's hear it. You know, I'm always... You know, I'm always um, intrigued, interested by uh, different sorts of mediums that we can uh, interact with our listeners. And uh, as far as I know, we're the only podcast out there that takes questions telepathically. Yeah. And, you know, at this point, I think it's a great opportunity for us to, uh, to interact with our listeners. In the fourth dimension. At a level... That no podcast has ever gone. The final frontier. Um, so this first question comes from uh, listener Big Dog in Madison. Oh, okay. And now she barks at us here she, on the she, short side option today. Oh, to, for full disclosure, she told me that she sent me a question telepa- telepathically, mm-hmm. and uh, and then to be sure, she sent it in. But I already, I'm pretty sure I already knew. Um, what her question was going to be anyway. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, she kind of spoiled it, but so I'm going to read it here, but I, this is, I had an idea well, here, that this here, is what she was asking. Here's what we'll do. We'll, you read her question first and, and then I'll say what I thought she was. Yeah. Let's just a okay. little, uh, little comparison here for us. All right. So she asked, uh, Icon. My question was to ask the Icons power ranking of top five Kansas State athletes or coaches, current or former, who he would want to invite to a short side option Thanksgiving dinner. And how many am I limited to here? Five. You five? Get, you get five K-State athletes or coaches to invite to dinner. And they could be current or former. Yes. Correct? Well, first and foremost, I'd invite Travis Canby, former K-State basketball hooper. Uh had a, a certain kinship with him during a K-State basketball camp uh, that I, you know, enjoyed uh, enjoyed my time there a lot. Uh, I would also uh, bring uh, his former coach, Jim Woldridge. Uh, 
to to the dinner. Has he recovered from his neck injury yet? Oh yeah, he's back. He's all right. He's he's back in, in good good health and and doing a hell of a job. Uh, I believe he's at the athletic director, not at UC Riverside, but like a Riverside City College. <coughs> Bless you. And uh, so Travis Canby. <coughs> Bless you. Uh, Travis Canby, Jim Wooldridge. Um, then I'm going to also uh, switch sides of the ball now to football, and I'm going to uh, select uh, Rashad Norwood, uh, big tight end. I know he'd bring not only great uh, side dishes uh, to uh, this Thanksgiving feast, but he'd also bring a hearty appetite. Uh, and he can uh, catch passes for you and block. Oh, absolutely. Very very versatile. Yeah. So I've got two more, and uh, I'm going to, uh, you know... Uh, get the ladies involved here, and we're going to bring uh, Kendra Wecker, one of the all-time great uh, K-State women's basketball players. Um, I know that, uh, you know, obviously her accolades uh, are well-documented in K-State women's basketball history, but I think another accolade you get out of that list is an outstanding uh, dinner guest. And so I've got two more or one more? i got one more left. you got one more. Who's going to round this out? you going to get a coach in there? Yeah. I'm going to get... Uh, I'm going to get a coach in there, and I'm going... Uh, Besides Jim. Jim Wilder. I'm going to get a, uh, a football coach in there. Any ideas on who that might be? I think you're going to go for Tom Hayes. No, I'm not going to go with Tom Hayes. I'm going to go with Joe Hall. Oh, the, well, art, the artiste. Yeah, Joe Hall uh, now on the K-State support staff. Uh I believe his title is like student athlete development, if if memory serves me I correctly. Think that's right. And uh, obviously, an accomplished fullback here at Kansas State, but uh, I think he would bring a great dynamic to the to the dinner table, and I I would be honored to uh, to dine in the presence of the, those five. No, oh, that's fascinating. That's a great question. The question I thought that Big Dog Madison was going to ask, and this is pretty close. I thought she was going to ask you if you were a dog, what kind of dog would you be? Um, oh. So, that's the question I thought was coming in, but pretty good, though. I, I knew she asked a question. and um, Yeah. So, I, but to answer that, uh, I would be a Welsh Corgi. Oh, that's, I, that's I've, great. I've always liked those dogs. All right. Um, all right, our next question comes from a listener, uh, also telepathically. Um, now, this one I didn't get the hint on. This one, this is the real deal. All right. This, this one came from listener uh, Hodges at TH8 underscore on Twitter, but it did not come via Twitter. It came... Important distinction to make. Yeah, it came uh, through the brainwaves. Uh, and what I think he asked, the signal I got, was looking at K-State's football schedule next year. Okay? Okay. What would be the one game of the year that you would like to win, aside from KU? Well, that is a great question. Um, of course, K-State's non-con next year, I do believe, includes uh, a home game with a Vanderbilt. And, you know, that's a revenge game uh, for K-State. As uh, the last time uh, they took on uh, Vandy, they came up on the short end in what was a really bad loss. Uh, looking back, that was a... As disappointing of a loss as you can as you can have, really, I think in, in a season where you expected K State to uh, be one of the top teams in the Big Twelve, and and uh, you know you had aspirations of 
of getting to a Big 12 title game, or at least uh, having a better season than they did uh, back in 2017. But um, I will go ahead and say, um, I'll say Oklahoma. Yeah, outside of outside of uh, KU, uh, getting a, another win against Oklahoma on the road this time would be a, uh, a real feather in the program's hat. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great question. And also, you know what kind of dawned on me this year? What's uh, that? that? Maybe we talked about it at the time, but maybe we didn't. Um, but that win against Oklahoma for K-State was a first win against Oklahoma and Manhattan in a long, long time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Since what, what, did we just... I think we hit on that 95? Yeah, I think so. 95, so, so yeah, I mean, shoot, you're looking at... We've had a lot more success in Norman than we have 24 years, and, I mean, there's been some good K-State teams. I remember back in 2013, d this is the year that Oklahoma uh, goes to the Sugar Bowl and pulls off a big upset against Alabama there uh, to kind of jumpstart uh, that program a little bit after they had kind of fallen on some... Yeah, not tough times. It's never too tough at Oklahoma when you're winning nine or ten games. or But it's maybe tough at Oklahoma, but not tough a lot of other places. But uh, kind of questions were coming up with Bob Stoops. Is this guy, does he need to go? You know, What's going to happen there? And that really, I thought, was a huge turning point in that program in terms of you know, getting the mojo back for the Sooners. But uh, in that game in 2013, Casey was actually favored against uh, the Sooners. At home. Is that right? That is a true statement. They were a five-point favorite in that game. That is... That seems wrong. Well, it's not. <laughs> that was uh, the very cold... It was as cold of a K-State game as you could... As I could really remember no, in, that, terms, in terms of a game in Manhattan. That Texas Tech game last year was pretty brutal. That was pretty brutal, too. The one thing that really sticks out to me about that OU game in 2013... Was just Tyler Lockett... Caught everything went for 500 yards that game. Well, I was more thinking about how cold that north wind was that day. Mm. And, uh, you know, we were out tailgating early that day. Um, and golly, it Just was crushing beers. Oh, yeah, man, absolutely. Just slamming. Yeah, slamming beers, talking sports. I mean, how much better could it really get? Dude. It could have got a whole lot better if it was a little bit warmer, though. I will say that. Or if K State pulled off a W in that game. Also, it made it a lot better. Anyway, great question uh, from listener Hodges, as always. Um, our next question comes from listener Trim. Trim has a uh, doubleheader question this week. Uh, first of all, first question is, what KSU sports things have caused you to react similarly to how Casey did at the end of last week's Temptation Island? Now, if you'll remember, if I may, Icon, set the scene a the little floor, bit. The floor is yours. Last week at the conclusion of Temptation Island, at the bonfire, Casey saw his sweetheart, Ashley, kiss Ben. and uh, He was very upset by this. He was very upset by it. And after seeing it, smashed the little box he was sitting on. The little bench he was sitting yeah. on with his hand. Punched it. S- several times. And you kind of understand why. He's been faithful. He's maybe said some things he shouldn't have. That Ashley seen, but uh, has absolutely remained faithful. And then he goes and sees Ashley uh, betray their relationship physically, which uh, must have been very disappointing for him, and he reacted uh, in an emotional way. So in terms of K-State sports, what's the angriest you've ever gotten? The angriest? Wow. 
That is a tough question. Do you have one that comes to mind? Because I, I have a couple that that stick out uh, to me. But I'm usually pretty quick getting over it. Um, but, do, I mean, is, is there one that... I'll, I'll go ahead and give, give mine first. Obviously, the answer is, is 2012 Baylor. Of course, K-State had everything on the line in that one. But a, a disappointing loss uh, to the Bears. I don't think that needs to be rehashed. Uh, I, I don't think I was punching anything, but... Maybe I slammed the couch a couple times in, in, in frustration. Yeah. I don't get angry, angry. I get disappointed more. But in terms of just getting angry, uh, a couple stick out. Okay. Number one uh, was Louisiana Lafayette in 2009. Uh, going down there and blowing that game. And especially Josh Cherry missing, uh, missing kicks. Oh, yeah. Uh, also in 2009, well, I'm going to back up to 2002, a uh, game against Texas, also kicking-related, um, mm, towards the end of that one. Yeah, Jerry Bright. And then, uh, fast-forwarding again to the end of 2009, game against North Texas, where Lance Dunbar rushed Former for... Former Cowboy great, Rushed Lance for Dunbar. 270 yards on uh, 27 carries. Oh, yeah. For the... Mean Green uh, running back there. Um, that was... K-State ended up escaping in that game, but there is not many things more frustrating than watching a uh, a guy for North Texas rack up almost 300 yards against your uh, your de- rush defense. No, no, absolutely. And that was a... Uh, that was just an odd game. Last game of the regular season, too, if memory serves me correct. K-State had already uh, clinched a bowl game uh, appearance... In that one era in that season, but yeah, Lance Dunbar ran wild, uh, and he went on to have a nice little NFL career a couple of years uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. But uh, yeah, that was definitely frustrating. I'm trying to think back to maybe a little bit more recent of a uh, football disappointment. I could look at um, I could look at that game against Vanderbilt, which I brought up uh, earlier tonight. That was as frustrating as it gets. In terms of thinking that you should be blowing these guys out of the water, uh, K State left a lot on the field that day. Countless drop passes uh, were were an issue in that one, and uh, you know having a chance to to tie it up late fell short in that one. Uh, basketball wise, there's one that comes to mind. And it's because it's the most recent. It's the most recent loss that K State has suffered, uh, getting knocked out uh, by the UC Irvine Anteaters. Yeah. That was that was that was frustrating. I had to lay out a couple of those um, waylays to the couch, uh, to the chair, whatever the case is. But uh, those are some that come to mind. All right, uh, great question from Trim. Uh, Trim's second question is: In a world where KSU football continues to revolve around new uniforms and helmets, who would be the better model, Malik Knowles or Slick Rick? No. Uh, Malik Knowles, uh, he was serving as a uniform model, uh, but in terms of an actual model, I mean, it's Slick Rick, man. That guy. Good-looking cat. And he, uh, he, he's he got a modeling career to back it up, so I have to go with Slick Rick. All he's right. much more accomplished at, at this point, anyway. But please stop talking about uniforms. Absolutely. Thank you. That goes without being said. All right, and our final question this week comes from listener Email Boys at email underscore boys. Uh, email boys asks icon which division one head coach 
all sports are in play, do you think has the highest libido? Now, we're just going to transfer this to who's the most virile, hyperactive uh, head coach in your mind? All sports. All sports. It is, and he said had to be a head coach? Yeah. Hmm. How about Ed O? Oh, yeah. I like that. That guy's high motor. Yeah, he was right. Coach O, are you here? Go, go, Tiger. <laughs> All right. That's, how's that for Coach O in person? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. You know, that guy, he's... You know, he's got a lot, to, a lot to be happy about right now. We've had a number of great guests on the program this year. We've had Brian Haney. We've had uh, Oh, <laughs> we sure have, Del. <laughs> uh, well, Icon, that wraps up the AVI this week. A little light on questions, but I imagine uh, listeners are a little downtrodden or they're just grinding on game film for uh, the Texas you know, and Tech we, week. And that's what we hope for, that they're grinding. I mean, that's what it's all about, brother, you know? Yeah. You, yeah I mean, people are busy watching sports. And we're, we're busy talking about them. And uh, that's what we do here on the short side uh, option. Hey, I have, I have one question. Fire uh, away. I want to hear it. Come on. Uh, it's your turn. Let's Look. transfer over to the hardwood for just a brief moment. I, it's not basketball season. Uh, we haven't gotten into basketball season yet on this program. But, we but I want to touch on one uh, detail from the oh, game. I know where this is going. The game against um, Arkansas Pine Bluff huh? last night. Uh, K-State handled Arkansas Pine Bluff, of course, never in doubt. But towards the end of the game, uh, one Sean Neal Williams returns from suspension, gets in the game with about two minutes left, and uh, just pulls from unlimited range. Yeah, he did, which I don't I don't necessarily mind the shots that he took. Yeah, they were only about a few feet in front of half court. but <laughs> They weren't that far. <laughs> I mean, one was, one was right behind the line. The other one was a little bit further out. So yes. just... just what were your thoughts on how that whole uh, episode developed and what you would expect moving forward from Sean Neal Williams? Um, well, I don't necessarily take as much issue with the shots that he took because it's the end of the game. I mean, K-State's ahead by you know, 15, 16, 17 points at those times, and that, it wasn't a huge deal to me. I mean, it, I thought it, it was cool. You like? I know you commented to me, excuse me, that you liked his moxie. Yeah, I did. I did you like liked his gumption. And I like to think that Bruce thought it was kind of cool, too. <laughs> I don't know if he did. I didn't mind it as much because it's in the game. I mean, obviously he's frustrated with the way his season's gone, uh, with getting his first action and not getting that action until two minutes left in a game that's well in hand uh, after serving his suspension. But I took more of an issue with this, what he was doing defensively, uh, when when uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff is 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 trying to get the ball up the court, and for a solid stretch, well, not the, I mean it wasn't like he guarded the whole possession like this because I think maybe ten feet, yeah, ten feet or so. He guards the defender who is dribbling. Forward facing, you know, his basket, the Arkansas Pine Bluff basket, dribbling forward, and he is guarding the player with his back turned to him. Kind of like he's bo- he's getting ready to box him out. Yeah, but the, the, no shots up. The guy's <laughs> dribbling the ball on right his side of half court. Yeah, uh, and I was like, what are you doing? Is he? Uh, do you 
think that this is a, that a transfer is imminent from him. I know a lot of people are speculating oh. that oh he's that he's gone. Bruce is Bruce is not going to stand for that. Or do you think Bruce is just going to try to connect with him on a personal level and uh, try to salvage uh, the talented Sean Neal Williams career at K State? Golly, that's a great question, Dell. Uh, man, I I think it could go one of either two ways. I think either. Yeah, he gets his bags packed and, and he's done, which I don't think is going to be the case because I think that there is too much upside uh, with uh, Sean, Sean Williams. I think he's dropped the kneel this year. Just Sean Williams, huh? Yeah, but um, anywho, I think your guess is as good as mine on what, what transpires this season. If I was to guess, I think that he probably sticks around, but... Uh, gosh, it, it's a, it's as much up a for debate and as much of a toss up as I think you could find right now. What do you think? Oh, I think uh, my opinion is I think Bruce thought it was funny. <laughs> I have a funny sneaking suspicion that he might not have. I think I think Bruce understands and knows that Sean Williams is just being a a card out there and horsing around <laughs> and uh, they, around they're going right. to repair the uh, the relationship and. Move forward. Well, K-State heads to Fort Myers uh, for the Fort Myers tip-off. K-State will take on Pittsburgh on Monday at 5 o'clock on FS1. Uh, Of course, the same channel you can find uh, K-State playing this Saturday, uh, a 6 o'clock kickoff against uh, the Red Raiders. So, uh, D-Lou, anything else you'd like to uh, like to add and anything else you'd like to mention here before we wrap this thing up? Not tonight. I think uh, K-State's going to bounce back this weekend and uh, get, get on the right side of things. Well, that makes two of us. So, uh, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. Let us know what you think about uh, Saturday's upcoming uh, game and also uh, you know what you think about uh, K-State on the hardwood as well. So uh, that'll do it here for us on the Short Side Option Podcast. Thank you for listening and go Cats! <laughs>